John chapter 5. Look at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. I want you to drop down, depending on your version. It might be included. It might be removed and put at the bottom of your page. But look at verse 4. Waiting for a certain movement of the water, for an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? What a strange question for Jesus to ask. Would you like to get well? And look at the man's response. I can't, sir, the man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you're well, so stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have called Restored Church to be a modern-day pool of Bethesda. Father, where you come and store the atmosphere so that people can be healed, so that people can be restored. Father, so people can embrace the very purpose that you created them for and can only know because of you and could never know apart from you. God, we ask that you would meet us here. Reveal your will, your purpose that has not yet been discovered or has not yet been embraced or has not yet been revealed. Father, I ask that you would reveal that to hearts and to lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. These verses here are the, the thrust. They are the vision for Restore Church. Uh, they are the reason for, uh, you know, everything that we do here. Um, from uh, the changing of our name from Resurrection Life Church to Restore Church, um, we did that so that we could declare God's vision with greater clarity. I had always prayed, God, if you could give us a name that wouldn't just tell you where we came from, but would tell you who we are. Um, God, I would, I would embrace that. And God gave us the name Restore. That swirl in the word Restore represents the pool of Bethesda where the angel would come and stir the waters and whoever needed healing would jump in and be healed. I wanted to have a clip for you. I went to Israel and I was at the pool of Bethesda. It was six years ago, but because of all the change of computers and everything, it somehow got lost in the shuffle. And so my apologies for not providing that for you today. But if you want to know why Restored Church exists, it exists to be a place of healing in the community. But let me confess something to you. I, I didn't share that for the first two years that our church existed, um, even though God gave it to me before our church began, because 
I didn't think it was a very cool sounding vision. Um, and in my naivety and in my immaturity as a young pastor, I thought nobody's going to think that that's a cool vision, a, a, a place of healing in the community. Um, who's going to think that that's a cool vision? So I confess before you and God today that I stole Pastor Dwayne's vision. I tweaked it a little bit. I even took his brochure. The people on our first brochures weren't even people that attended our church. They attended Granville Reza's church. I stole it all, tweaked it a little bit. I came up with building successful lives to reach a world in need or something like that. It was something like that. And God kept bringing me back to these verses. I can remember one day we had a, a prophetic uh, a, a guy that flowed very strongly in the prophetic, John Webster out of Florida. We'd have he and his wife Mary come and minister. And John says, hey man, what's the vision of your church? And I said, you know, I rattled it off. You know, building successful lives to reach a world. You know, and he goes, oh man, tell me about that. And so I were sitting, I think we were in like either Ruby Tuesdays or Chili's on 28th Street in GR. I picked him up from the airport. And, um, and uh, as I'm talking to him, he's writing on the napkin there at the table. And when I was done, he goes, man, that ain't your vision. Here's your vision. This is what's coming out of you. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, what? It, I, I could not see myself going before the congregation for whatever reason. And, and we pastors struggle with all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, but I, I just didn't think that it would go over real well. You know, how arrogant for me to, to go before the congregation and tell them, hey, we're a place of healing in the community. Well, somebody could say, well, Pastor John, all the churches should be a place of healing in the community. Um, I just was so concerned about how it sounded and about how it would be received. Even though it was the vision that God gave our church, I didn't share it because I did not know how it would go over. And so being the coward that I was for two years did not share it. And then I finally thought, God, that's the only thing you've ever given me. And I don't want to be like all the other churches because you haven't called us to be like all the other churches. This is who you've called us to be. This is the vision that you gave us. I guess the least I could do is to begin to share the vision. And so I began to share what God had called our church to be. And as I began to share the vision, it seems like people began to hold, to hold on to it because it had substance to it. See, when you're sharing something that doesn't really belong to you, nobody really buys in. It's almost like you're trying to sell them on something that sounds good. And I didn't think that our vision sounded like any of the other churches' visions. All the other churches' visions sound so sharp. They were so slick. They looked so good on brochures and on websites. And I didn't think ours did. And so I didn't share it. But this is truly who we are, and it's what God has called us to be. And there are a lot of ways that you can start churches. You can get sent, and they can do, you know, all kinds of studies. And we'd like to start a church um, over here in GR, over here in Lansing. We believe that it'd be a good place to start a church. We'd like to start a church there. But God caused this church to come into existence. In fact, I'd like to say this. We didn't build a building. We captured a stronghold. We captured a stronghold. And we took what belonged to the enemy and we have taken it and we have removed the old foundations and we have built a stronghold. And now from this stronghold, we are called to, to go out. We're called to go out. We're called to go out. Strongholds were military placements that you would have your provisions in. You could, you could access supplies and 
that's what I believe the church is meant to be. I don't believe it's meant to be this place where we all get in this holy huddle and we hide. And we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit within the confines of these four walls. I believe we're supposed to go out. Supposed to go out by God's design. By God's design. And I believe that's what he's called us to be. He's called us to do. So we have just built this house in Grand Haven. And God began to speak to me and to Lisa about Ionia. And it was there that God brought me to these verses and said, I want the church to be a modern-day pool of Bethesda. Well, I translated that when God first gave it to me as, you know, well, that's just the, you know, the kind of ministry that God's called me to that's not necessarily the vision for the church. But God kept bringing me back to these verses. John, this is the vision. This is what I've called the church to be. I, I don't know churches are called to, to be this. I do, you know, how do, I, how do I present that and how does that translate? But it's who we are. It's who we are. And we believe that as people come, and guess what? You can't make people drink water, but you can bring them to the water so that the thirsty can drink. You, you can't heal anybody or save anybody, but you can bring them to a place where they can be healed and they can be saved. And we believe that's what this place is. It's this great big place that God, God's touch stirs and moves and people can ask Jesus into their heart. Their bodies can be healed. He can restore their lives. That's what we believe God's called our church to be. And so that's why the swirls in the word restore because it is a modern day pool of Bethesda, a place of healing in the community. That's what we believe God has called our church to be. And we believe that so much that this year, and it's the first time I've done this, is that for our devotionals, and I try to write one every year for our days of fasting and prayer, um, I have um, taken these 15 verses, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and I have taken 10 points or 10 principles out of it, and that is going to be your devotional. So not only am I preaching on this today, but it is your devotional. Um, and please grab one. Um, we want you to have one. And uh, we're believing that it's going to be a blessing that God's going to speak to you in a significant way. And I just want to say this. If you've never fasted before, please drink water. And I know that you might laugh at that. But I had an individual after he had been on a fast for a couple days um, say to me, Pastor John, are we supposed to drink water on the fast? And I said, you haven't been drinking water? I go, you got to drink water, dude. I go, you can, you, can, you can go a while without food, but you can't go long without water. Please drink water. You're scaring me. Promise me you're going to go home and you're going to drink water. Yes, Pastor John, I'll go home and I'll drink water. So, um, the, the, and I list some fasting options for you in the beginning of that devotional. So please grab one. And we want you to be fasting and to be in prayer. And we believe that God is going to speak to you in a significant, significant way. Whatever whatever choice you make, whether you're going to fast a meal or whether you're going to fast, you know, heaven forbid, caffeine or whatever God leads you to fast, um, do so and pray. If you're just fasting and you're not praying, that's called starving. Please fast and pray. Amen. Amen. Let's look at some verses here in John chapter 5. Says afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Inside the city, inside the city. I didn't want to be inside the city. I wanted to be outside of the city where all the new stuff was going up because we were a new church and I wanted to build new. I didn't want to be inside the city. 
Nothing about being inside the city appealed to me. It seemed like everything was leaving the city and going out there. So the new Walmart and the new Taco Bell and, and, and Menards and everything. Went in. And so I wanted to be in and all the new stuff that was going on out there because we were a new church. And God said, nope. I want you to be down here. Well, I've never been a part of a church that was a storefront, let alone didn't have a parking lot. I've never been a part of anything like that. Why would you call someone who's never seen it before to the downtown area to do something like this? It's because we have and always will be at a place where we are trusting and we are believing God to do what we've never seen before. I didn't want to duplicate. I didn't want to, to be a cookie cutter. I didn't want to, to copy, even though I sold Pastor Dwayne's vision for a little while there. Um, I didn't want to be just another church like all the other churches. I wanted to do what God called us to do or what would be the sense for our existence? I mean, why even bother? Why bother? Why bother starting a church if it wasn't because God asked you to do it? I wasn't getting sent here because this was a target area for God to start a church. There was a group of people that sent a letter and said they wanted the church. And as I prayed about it, I found myself weeping over Ionia. That's how we came here. We had no designs on coming here. We were going to go to North Muskegon. We had just built a house. I got two little boys. I got a brand new home in Grand Haven. We had no desire to come here. I'd never been here. Never been to a free fair. Nothing. Nothing. Even in my days before Jesus, neighbor never came to any of the concerts that they had here at the fairgrounds, even, even though some of my buddies did. I'd, I'd never eaten an elephant ear. Nothing. Nothing. Thought that we were going to North Muskegon for sure. So much so that my pastor brought us before the congregation, some 500 people, and announced that we were going to be pastoring a church in North Muskegon. Man, it was all getting laid out. It looked so nice. And then God spoke. And I love it when God speaks because if you really want to hear from God, then you'll allow him to speak. And there's nothing like a word from the Lord. Because if you can figure it out, then what does God have to do with it? But if God speaks, then you're forced to trust him so that he can lead. Well, there are a lot of smart people in this room, but I'm going to tell you what. If you can see it happening and if you can do it, then what do you need God for? God literally called us to do something that we had to trust and we had to believe him for. Had to trust and believe him for. I mean, it's just, and it's just crazy that um, God has chosen Restore Church to be on Main Street in Ionia when every bit, every, everything about this, it was like God was breaking me, or can I say it this way, God was growing me into the vision that he had. He was growing, he was maturing me into a vision that we can handle. We purchased land up at the top of the hill behind the Temple Baptist Church. We bought land, like 11, 12 acres of land. We bought that land because that's where we were going to build. And you would think that I step out in faith with a congregation and we buy this land, well, surely God would allow us to build there. Heck no. God didn't allow us to build there. And I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I just wasn't in line with the vision that he had for our church. You know, maybe God's growing you into a vision. Maybe he's growing into you into a vision. Well, Pastor John, I, I, I don't know if, if God's speaking and I want him to speak. Well, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. 
You want God to speak, but are you willing to do what God would say? If you're not going to do what God would say, or if it's got to go through your filter, then why should God speak if you're not going to do anything that he asks you to do? And keep in mind, in Hebrew thought, listening or hearing and obedience, they're one word, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. That word Shema, it's amazing. In most languages, there are a bunch of different words for some of our English words. Like, you know, in the Greek, there's five words for love, and we've got one. Isn't it amazing that in the Hebrew language, there are not two words for listen and obey. It's one word, because in Hebrew thought, what would be the sense in listening if you weren't going to be obedient? So let me challenge you with this. Are you willing to do what God would ask you to do? Well, then pray. Then ask, and he'll speak. But God's voice speaking to your heart is not some form of entertainment for you. It is a form of an assignment given to you. It's not for your enjoyment. It's for your employment. And this isn't about us trying to twist and bend God's will to work with our desires and what we want to do. It's God shaping you and molding you. Remember, he's the potter. You're the clay. He's trying to get you to do what he's called you to do, and he will break you and break you and break you until you finally submit and embrace what he's called you to do with your life. This isn't about you getting your way. Nobody gets their way. This isn't Burger King. He's the king of kings. This is about God having his way with your life and however, however he needs to get you to that place where you are pliable, where you are soft. Man, he'll do it. And he just, he, he went against everything that I thought a church should do for me. Even Pastor Dwayne said, John, I thought you were crazy buying that building. And the I said, yeah, I think I'm crazy too. And I don't know about you, but God's looking for some crazy people. Because it seems like those are the only ones that want to do what he's called and asked them to do. Everybody else is so smart they got it all figured out. You can run it like a corporation and, and you probably will reach a lot of people. Or you can do what God asks you to do. And see, we're living in a day and in an age when words like sin, they're slowly getting removed. Hell, literal hell, slowly getting removed. Everything's up for Redefinition now from marriage to family to you name it. And it's going to take guts to be a Christian today and to take a stand. Yes, God loves you, but he doesn't endorse and embrace everything you do. And guess what? Blessing comes from relationship. You bet he loves you, but that doesn't mean he's going to bless you. Blessing comes from being in right relationship and being under the spout where the glory comes out, as we used to say back in the day. And so let's look at some truths here in these verses in the time that I got left, and I'm quickly running out of time, which always happens when you're preaching on the vision of your church. And I just want to mention some things. First of all, in verse 3, it says, Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on porches. I knew that God was calling us to a place where they were hurting people because I told him years ago, God, send me where they are hurting people. Send us where they're hurting people, signing my wife and my sons all up for it, even though they didn't know it. God, send us where they were hurting people. And the first time I drove into Ionia, and I'm at the top of the hill, even before I get down to the fairgrounds, God reminded me of that, that prayer. Um, I just saw the movie um, Unbroken Part 2, Path to Redemption. It's the real story behind Louis Zamperini's life um, and the part that they left out because it's really not a bestseller at the Hollywood box office, but it talks about his conversion under Billy Graham's ministry. And he wanted to leave again. He had gone to a couple of Billy Graham crusades because his wife had been going and she had gotten saved. 
and he goes to another one, and once again, you know, he's struggling with drink. He can't get that, you know, the, the bird, that, that guy that tormented him, he can't get him out of his head, and he's about ready to leave the tent again. And I love it in the movie because Billy Graham's grandson is the one who portrays him in the movie. It's pretty cool. He even sounds like him a little bit. And uh, he's leaving, and God brings Louis Zamperini back to that moment when he was on a life raft out on the ocean for 47 days, I think it was. Um, he, uh, he cried out to God in that moment and said, God, if you save me, I'll serve you with all my, or I'll serve you with my life. And in that moment, God brought him back to that very moment when he cried out to God in that life raft. It was the same thing for me when I was driving into Ionia, when I was coming down the hill. God told me, you said to send you where they were hurting people. And it was just a moment a passionate worship. I was just so in love with Jesus. I would have done anything, gone anywhere. And so that's why I'm here. Um, because in a moment of worship, just the presence of God was so strong, I just said, God, just send me where they're hurting me. I don't even know where that came from. Out of the depths of who I was, I'm a happy youth pastor with two little boys serving at a church. I couldn't have been happier. In Grand Haven, doing Bible studies, right uh, right by Lake Michigan, baptizing teenagers in Lake Michigan. I was having the time of my stinking life. I had no desire to go anywhere. But I prayed one day. I prayed a prayer. God, send me where they're hurting people. And so we did. And so we did. And I'm so glad that he did. We've seen so many people get saved. So many people get touched. So many people get healed. Amazing, amazing testimonies. I shared Dennis Priest's testimony from multiple sclerosis that happened even before we were in a building when we were still in a home. God's done amazing, amazing things. Let's drop down to verses 14 and 15. And in, in the 10-day devotional, you guys, I've got a lot of the things that we touched on today um, and challenges for you. But look at verse 14. It says, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, the man that had been afflicted for 38 years. Jesus found him in the temple. Isn't it amazing he found him in church? Man, I don't know if he was a churchgoer before, but he is now. And he told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. Jesus rebukes the man that he just healed. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Finds him in church. He must have been a sinner, or Jesus wouldn't have had to tell him to stop sinning. Well, Pastor John, you know, we were all sinners. Let me say it this way. I'm not up here today saying that I'm John Perminsky, a sinner. I'm up here saying that I'm John Perminsky. I was a sinner, and I'm now saved by grace. And sin doesn't have dominion over me anymore. Does it mean that I can't sin? Well, of course not. It just means that I'm not a practicing sinner anymore. Sin's hold has been broken off of my life. And isn't it amazing that Jesus finds the man who had been afflicted for 38 years and he confronts him in church, heaven forbid, confronts him in the temple and says, stop sinning or a worse thing will happen to you. You have no idea how many times I have seen people begin a beautiful walk with Jesus Christ and all of a sudden they disappear and before I know it, I bump into them, into them again, and their life is unraveling. It's just unraveling 
Why? Because they went back to the very thing that God had set them free from. Went back to it. I believe that if you are going to be a church, you are going to be a ministry that is going to survive today, you're going to have to call sin, sin. Because guess what? Sin still exists, and I don't care what the culture says. It exists. It exists, and you're going to have to be willing to call it out. Better is open rebuke than love carefully concealed. You're going to have to be willing to love people enough to say, stop it. Stop it. Knock it off. You keep it up, and something worse is going to happen to you. You need to knock it off. Stop it. Or as pastor would say, admit it and quit it. Stop. 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 And I believe that is going to be the bulk of the church's ministry in the last days. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to be willing to confront sin. We're going to have to be willing to preach on hard things like repentance and a literal hell when culture would like to tell you that those things don't exist. Well, man, if I believe in a good God, i got to believe in a bad devil. If I believe in a literal heaven, i got to believe in a literal hell. Since when are we promised a life without any absolutes? I believe in an absolute good. I believe in an absolute bad. I believe in those things. I don't believe in, in ghosts and I believe in angels and demons because that's what the Bible says about the spiritual realm. And the spiritual world is getting really flaky out there. You got all these shows with people walking in there and man, they're not even good actors, you know, with all their equipment that are going in there. What was that? What was that? And I'm thinking, I'm as stupid as you are for even watching this. You know, I, don't, I can only last about five minutes when I go through one of those shows. We've got to be willing to call sin sin. We've got to love people enough that when they are fall, they've fallen away from God, the Bible says you who are spiritual should restore such a one. And if our churches restore, then that must be a part of what God has called us to do. And if we love people enough, we need to be willing to tell them, what are you doing, man? I mean, parents, haven't you ever told your kids before or had your parents tell you? You know better than that. Knock it off. Knock it off. You know better than that. When you talk to that prodigal or that backslidden Christian, you know what you can tell them? Hey, 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 stop it. You know better than that. You know where that's going to take you. Who are you going to blame? You're going to blame your upbringing? You're going you're gonna to blame the abuse that you went through, not trying to minimize anybody's abuse, but how long do you blame people for that? How long do you use that as an out? That offense, that pastor that said this or did that, that Christian that said this or did how long are you going to ride that? Man, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And when you come to Jesus, come to him great guns and give him your life and quit trying to get God to blend with your will and totally embrace his. Anytime you see the will of God mentioned in the, in the New Testament, it is always in an active to do God's will. Because God's will isn't something that's just spoken at an altar. It's an assignment given so that you would do it. Pastor John, I don't know if I know God's will for my life. Sure you do. What has he asked you to do? That's God's will. His word is his will. What did he last speak to you? What did he ask you to do? Do it and do it with all your heart. Do it with all your heart. We believe that our church is a place where God could speak to you, where God could assign you, where God could reveal himself to you. 
because we're in pursuit of him and his presence. And in the beginning of our church's launch, or you know, there were full gospel churches that were going seeker-friendly and they were dumbing down worship and they weren't pursuing God's presence because they were afraid that longer worship sets and longer services would, would push people away. And I could not picture having church without God's presence being an emphasis. I just couldn't do it. And I had friends that were pulling on me saying, man, you see what's happening over there in Chicago at Bill Hybels Church and you see this and this and that? Man, the people are coming. I mean, is that what it is? Are we trying to draw a crowd? Are we trying to bring people to a place of decision and see conversions? I don't know about you, but I don't want 2019 to be like 18 or 17 or 16 or 15. I I want to hear from God. I want to be led by God. God's speaking for my instruction. He gives instruction. That's what his voice is. Instruction. What has he asked you to do? Come on, this isn't rocket science. Pursue him, hear from him, and do what he's telling you to do. I probably gave two months of messages right there. What has he asked you to do? See, that's it. Pastor John, I don't know if I'm hearing God's voice first. You got to determine whether you're willing to do what he's asked or not. I don't think he has a problem speaking clearly. I think he knows the heart so well that he's speaking to. Pastor John, I would do anything that God asked me to do. Well, then ask him if that's your heart. And anybody that says that the Christian walk is boring, never pursued Jesus with all their heart. I think that a lot of people are afraid to pray prayers like that because they're afraid of what God would ask them to do. He'll only ask you to do what he created you for. And it will fit hand in glove, key in lock. It will fit. You have been designed to fit certain locks so that doors could be opened, so that windows could be opened. There is a purpose and a destiny for your life, and you can only discover that through Jesus Christ. You can try to figure it out, man. A lot of smart, a lot of smart people have. But I believe this is the year God speaks to you. This is the year that you see breakthrough. This is the year that God reveals himself to you like he never has before. This is the year. Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. And when you find him, you find peace and you find love and you find healing. That's what you find. He's not going to humiliate you or embarrass you or tear you away from your family in some heart-wrenching way. Everybody's bawling as you're headed for the Congo. He's going to reveal what he's called you to do, which would thrill you to do. You might not think it possible, but it would thrill you. And you're going to trust him from that moment on. God, if you called me to do this, I'll do it. If you called me, you'll enable me. If you called me, you'll equip me. Find out what God has called you to do. What has he called you to do? What is his purpose for your life? You've got to pursue him and find that. And that's how we arrived here. That's why this church is here. It's why we know all of you that we never would have met before because we just simply did what God asked us to do. 
And can I just say this? Obedience is so much bigger than people give it credit for. Obedience is enormous. Obedience is like the smallest door that leads to the biggest space. Obedience is huge. Seek him. Hear from him. Do what he's asking you to do. Do what he's asking you to do. God's not going to compete with a bunch of other influences that you choose over him. He's not going to compete if you want to do this, this, or that. He'll let you do that. And you might say, he's not speaking. And I might challenge you and say, you're not willing to hear. You don't want to know. Because you might have to give up some of these little pet habits and pet things that you've been clinging to that really have become more important to you than Jesus himself. What have you? Church, what have you? Find out. Find out. I believe when right hearts pray, right answers come. Right from